we are in a series we're calling 30 for 30. And uh, yeah, and so what we've done is thrown out a challenge in reference to the series, because this series is all about the Word of God, the power of the Word of God, how it will, how it will strengthen us, sustain us, cleanse us, uh, how it will defend us. And so uh, it's really hard to um, use the Word of God properly if you don't know it. And so we threw out a challenge uh, last week to uh, start reading the Bible every day, uh, 30 days for the month of February. We started the last two days of January, 28 days in February, would be 30 days thus the 30, and then we ask you to post whatever you got from the Lord in reading that day just to your social media so we'd have 30 for 30. I saw uh, Captain Jack uh, this week. Pastor Jack uh, was uh, our kids pastor for a number of years. He and Nicole, phenomenal. And I said to him, I said, "Uh, bro, how's your 30 for 30 going? He goes, "Uh, I've been reading my Bible every day. I said, yeah, but you haven't been posting anything. I said, so you're going to end up with 30 for 20. I'm just trying to tell you. And he's like, oh, and you got to understand about Pastor Jack. Uh, Pastor Jack, last year, his wife wanted this particular table from like Ashley Furniture or something like that. And so Jack is not one to just, he's so stinking competitive. So he went to Dave and Buster's and he's standing there in the little area by the video games where you win like a PlayStation or uh, a piece of candy or whatever, you know, based on how many points. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Based on how many things you get from the video games? All right, you don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway. And so he's standing there, and he calls the manager over. He says, listen, uh, you don't have any furniture in your catalog here of things that I could win by playing your video games. The guy goes, well, yeah, we don't really do that. It's not really a market for that. He goes, well, what if you got this table, and he showed him a picture of it, Ashley Furniture. I would, I would rather spend my money playing video games and win this table. What is your price point and percentages? And so the guy sits there and figures it up, and it's going to be like, you know, he's got to win like, you know, 80 million, you know, points playing these video games. And the guy thinks, you know, there's no way, you know, I, I will make money on this guy playing my video games. So if it's a, you know, $1,000 table, whatever it was, uh, I will make $2,000 off this guy playing video games. Well, he doesn't know Pastor Jack. So he shakes on it and agrees to pull this table into this thing. Jack makes an agreement that he will fight to get enough points uh, and, and spend the money in the video games. Captain Jack, not only does it take him a month and a half to get, he plays, he goes and plays every day after work for three hours. He, pl- he ends up getting the table for what would have cost him $600. He saved 400 The man is sitting there going, how can you do this? And the reason why is because he found a couple games that he could just about dominate. I think it was the, the basketball shoot and things like that. And so when I told him, hey, bro, you're only going to end up with 30 for 20. You could see it in his eyes. I, I have to do better. And so I throw that out there to you guys because you need to do better. Come on, somebody. Let's read and post every day. Anyway. That's a little piece. So last week, as we started into the 30 for 30 series, we were talking about the power of the Word of God. And uh, for those of you that don't know, quick review, uh, there are 66 books in the Bible that make up the Bible, 66 different books that were written by 40 different authors. God spoke to them, He inspired them, and they wrote what He told them to write. And they did that, 40 different authors, over 1,400 years over almost 1,500 years of life went by. And so God would speak to this one. They would write, it, write what he told them to do, And that would be called the book of Genesis. And this one and that one and that one. Over 1,400, almost 1,500 years. And just the miraculous power that God would do that and do it seamlessly. I want you to think about this for a moment. If I gather today 40 different authors, gave them a topic, world peace and said, write about that, write just today. You live right now, not to mention if you lived in the 1800s, but right now, not to mention if you live back in this day, but right now in this part of the world, write what you have, 40 different authors, and we tried to put it together with one, as one book. It would be so discombobulated. There would be so much different opinions and confusion, yet God took his holy word, spoke it to 40 different folks, told them to write, and over 1,400 years, they wrote, and when you put it all together... Now Not only does it make sense, but it's so supernatural and so totally together. And so there's not a contradiction in it that it would stay here and there. There are pieces in it where someone said, well, I saw 500 people at this thing. And someone else said, well, it was actually 485. So you have these pieces, but you don't have contradictions in theme and thought process. There's not inaccuracy and one believes this and one believed that or saw it this way or that way. It is the inspired word of God. If that wasn't enough, there are over 300 
prophecies that go back some, some as far as a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. 300 different prophecies. And when Jesus was born and he lived on the planet and died and resurrected, he fulfilled every one of those 300 prophecies. He couldn't have done it it's, if he wasn't God. There's no way that you could even tell where you were going to be born at, much less fulfill what, what in and of yourself. It had to be God. God is in his word. It is his holy word to bring you to a place of completeness in him. So last week, we talked about the power of the word of God to cleanse you. How in the world can you be cleansed of sin if you don't even know what sin is? And so the starting point is the word of God tells us what right and wrong is. Otherwise, every man does right in his own eyes, which is what we have now in our millennial generation across the hemisphere and across the nations of the world. Every man does right in his own eyes. Well, it's not bad for me. Why would you tell me that? To judge me means you're a bigot. I think it's okay. And friend, if we keep on this pattern where you do what you think is right and I do what I think is right, in the next 20 to 50 years, we'll have total anarchy. Where did we get our right and wrong from as a nation? From the Word of God. From the Word of God is where we got what we know to be right and wrong. And for humanity as a whole. It is bled over in all the cultures. And they literally don't even recognize that most of their right and wrong came from the Word of God. And so we talked last week about how the Word of God will cleanse you. Will make you right before him. He literally says, I will wash my bride with the washing of the word. And we talked about how the word will cleanse you. How it starts even in your mind. See, you don't go out and sin like, oh my God, I just fell into sin. How did that happen? That's not true. We all think about it. It's a thought. And then we go act upon it. So people all the time when I was a youth minister, guys would tell me, oh no, I just fell into sin. Liar. You can tell your mama that. She might believe you sell it on eBay because it ain't selling here. At the end of the day, you plan that. You don't know. How did, I don't know how I slept with her. I can tell you how. You started plotting and planning, and you got over to her house when her mama and daddy wasn't there. That's exactly how you accomplish it. It starts with the mind. And we talked about washing our mind with the word. And that the word of God literally will cleanse our mind, therefore cleansing our actions as we continue on. Today, we want to look at the word of God and its power to sustain us. Would you say that with me? Sustain. The power of the Word of God to sustain us. And our key scripture is found in Matthew chapter 4. If you'll go ahead and open your Bibles or turn them on. If, if you don't have one, you can just look on the screens. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me set the scenario where Jesus is at where he speaks this. He has just been water baptized by John. As he comes out of the water, we see the Godhead in three parts represented. As he comes out of the water, God the Father speaks out of heaven and says, This is my son whom I'm well pleased. At the same time, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove and lands upon Jesus. And that's where we get the verbiage Trinity. The word Trinity is never found in Holy Scripture. We just use that to represent God three in one. Same God, three different parts. And so like ice, or like H2O can be in the form of ice, a solid, or liquid water, or gas and steam. And we see God in that capacity. And this moment, after he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness, out into a tough place, the Bible says. And then from there, he begins to fast 40 days and nights. He eats nothing, no food, and drinks no water. At the end of 40 days, can you imagine that is beyond the place of starvation? The fact that he's even even able to continue standing is miraculous. It's sustainable only by the power of God in this situation. And at that moment, Satan comes to him. As he's at the, and the Bible says, and Jesus was hungry at the end of these 40 days. I guess he was. And Satan came and said, hmm, you hungry? Well, now I'm paraphrasing a little bit. He goes, you see that rock right there? If you're really the Messiah, can't you say to that rock, turn to bread? Aren't you hungry? Aren't you having difficulty right now? And don't you have the power to fix it in and of yourself? Why don't you take, if you're really who you say you are, prove who you say you are and fix your own problem in and of yourself by telling that rock to turn to bread. And Jesus responds, verse 4, once again, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is quoting a passage out of the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, we find the children of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Look at these words, 40 and wilderness all connected. These passages are connected. 
40 years, and if you don't know the storyline, then you go, go watch the, uh, the movie version, the cartoon version of, you know, uh, Moses taking them, the children of Israel, uh, are, uh, you know, into the wilderness, and, and uh, the, the, the prince of Egypt, I think it's called, and we see that they had this conflict with the Egyptians, they finally uh, loose them and let them go, they no longer are going to be slaves to Egypt, they go out in the wilderness, and there are millions of Israelis, scholars believe somewhere between one and two million of them, can you imagine couple million people out wandering in your wooded area behind your house or in kind of a deserty area and the question comes to how are you going to feed them listen my son's sitting on the front row every time he comes home from college he, he destroys it the kitchen's gone I mean I, like where's my leftovers from last night when we went out to eat and he's like sorry dad I thought it was, it was in there right <laughs> like, dude are you kidding me can you imagine trying to fill, feed a couple million Israelites? Like, what are we going to eat today? I don't know, but you're looking kind of good looking right now. He's turning to cannibals. And in the process of that, God says, okay, I'm going to fix it for you. Now that you're really, really hungry and you're crying out, help us, God. He says, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to give you manna. It's just going to come up out of the ground when you wake up in the morning. And this manna had this nutrients in it that sustained them. It was unbelievable. And let's pick up there in the book of Deuteronomy what Jesus is quoting, chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. It says, remember, Deuteronomy 8, verse 2 through 4, remember how the Lord your God led you in all the way, excuse me, you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order that you may, excuse me, that you may know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What he's saying is this. Hey, listen. Listen, God had you out in the wilderness because he was trying to work Egypt out of you. Because in your mind, you were still slaves. In your mind, you still made it all happen in and of yourself. You did, you did the labor and the work. And he was trying to teach you that he is your provider. That he supernaturally got you from being slaves. And he supernaturally will sustain you. And what you were crying out for was food. But what you needed to understand, he was teaching you through this whole food thing. That your life really comes from his word. That he is the one who will sustain you. If he says you're free, then you are free. Stop being a slave. If he says you're chosen, you are chosen. Stop thinking like a slave. If he says that I've got a promised land for you, stop doubting and being full of unbelief and wondering, but how am I going to eat today? When he's saying you are a king, start believing his word. And he said, so as a result, he waited till you were at the point of starvation and you finally cried out when he finally says, okay, watch this. And food came up off the ground in the middle of the morning, due hours, and you went out there and you picked it up. You didn't work for it. You didn't till the ground for it. You didn't plant the seeds for it. You didn't make it grow. He did it in and of his own strength because he wants you to know that it is not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. And he wants you to understand a truth that you still don't get, you little slave folks in your brain. And that is this. I will sustain you because I'm God. And my words are true and they are to be trusted. And I'll show you with the simple things of life, like fixing your car, supernatural, like getting your promotion, supernatural. But at the end of the day, that's just a little bit of manna so you will recognize who the king of kings and the Lord of Lords is and the food that I give you is beyond the little daily substance that you think you need I think it's really cool though that the scriptures are connected to the thought process of nutrients or food I think that's pretty neat that Jesus said as he's starving to death saying listen I don't I, I got food that you don't know about Satan I got the word of God living and abiding in me, giving me strength supernaturally to go through this terrible, horrible situation. I think it's really neat, though, that the Word of God is connected to food or nutrients, if you will. I think that's pretty cool. In fact, I would make you kind of think like this for just a moment. If um, the Word of God should be the sustaining power in your spiritual life, if you will. And I want to connect it, like the Bible does, to food or to nutrients. So uh, nutritionists say that we should eat four to six meals a day, small meals, because those four to six meals a day, what it does is it keeps our metabolism burning so we don't, we don't get fat. And, and so one of the worst things that you can do, nutritionists say, is to eat one meal a day. So I don't eat all day long, and then at the last bit, I go home and I just stuff my face because what your body says is, oh, my goodness, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat. Oh, I'm not going to eat. Finally, you eat food, and they go, oh, i got to get all that I can out of it so it stores it quickly as fat so it can burn it so that it can use it because it never 
never knows when you're going to starve it again. And so it needs that for energy because your food is your energy. It's what keeps your brain thinking. It's what keeps your body moving. It is the fuel of your body. So each and every one of you eat many, many meals a day. Some of you eat one or two. But every one of you, I guarantee you, if we were to kidnap you, take you to another country, blindfold you at noontime without seeing a watch or knowing what time of day it is, you would know it was noon. I'll tell you why. Because your stomach's going to go... Because you have trained yourself. It's funny for you guys that come to the second service. Somewhere about noon, you start getting nervous. Like, Pastor, you got to wrap this thing up. Because I'm hungry, man. I'm hungry. I mean, I did your little latte thing, but that ain't enough. I need some real food up in her. I need something to eat. And the reason that is, is because your body is now trained to receive those nutrients. And when they get, get inside of you, they break them down, they turn it into fuel, right? That's basic. I get it. I'm not a medical personnel here. But nonetheless, that's the basic way this whole thing works. It's the same thing with the Word of God. Now, how foolish would it be for you to eat once, one meal a week on a Sunday from 10.45 till about 12.30. How foolish would that be your only meal? Your body would shut down. Somewhere around Friday, you would be ready to you'd just be passed out. We'd have to go bring you to the hospital, put cables all in you. Uh, anyway, it, you know, but put some, some, some uh, electrolytes in you, start getting you fed. Why? Because you'd start starving yourself, but yet we do that in the spirit all the day long. You expect me somehow to provide you with such a meal that will sustain you as your wife looks at you and says, I don't want to be married to you anymore. You're expecting me to give you some strength and nutrients to be able to overcome when the doctor just said, yeah, I think this is going to be a long haul with this sickness that you have. You're expecting me somehow to have the grandiose ding, solution to the problem that you have at work that everybody hates you and trying to fire you. Can I tell you something? The nutrients that you need are found in his holy word. They will sustain you. They will keep you. They will give you spiritual muscles that you don't put Uh, presently possessed they must be brought in so that you can break it down so that you can use it for your own safety and sustainability isn't that good say yes so as we jump into this i love this john quincy adams quote he was the sixth president of our country and he said this about the bible so great is my veneration for the bible that the earlier my children begin to read it the more confident will be my hope that they will prove useful citizens of their country and respectful members of society. I have for many years made it a practice to read through the Bible once every year. He was convinced that if my kids don't read the Bible, they'll be worthless in our society. Yet we've taken the Bible away from our children, especially in our public school systems. We've taken it away from them, and we hope that somehow in the kids' ministry over there, they're going to give it to them in a sustainability. Friend, we've got to get the Word of God in us and in our children, just for like, like John Quincy Adams said, just so they'll be respectable members of our society. So let me give you a couple of sustaining truths that the Word will do for you. How the Word will sustain you in a couple areas. Number one, write this down if you don't mind. Number one, the Word will sustain you in the right direction of life. It will sustain you in the right direction of life. I get told all the time, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. I, 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 just, uh, I just don't know which way I'm supposed to go. I don't know if I'm supposed to take this job, marry this person. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. And Frank, can I tell you something? It's the Word of God that will sustain you, keeping you heading in the right direction. I love Psalms 43.3. He says, send forth your light and your truth. Talking about His Word. Send forth your light and your truth and let them guide me. The psalmist is crazy. I'm scared to pray that prayer. Send forth your light and your truth. Friend, there are some things about you and me we don't want nobody to know. I don't even want to know. Remember that movie, A Few Good Men? Anybody remember that? Came on TV a few years ago, so I saw it. And uh, a few good men, so you've got, you know, Tom Cruise, and he's the, he's the prosecuting attorney, you know, and he's got Jack Nicholson on the stand, who's this, who's this general who's, you know, basically done something he wasn't supposed to, but he don't care because he's, he's saving the world, you know, by being, you know, a, a hard-nosed dude. And so, and there's that moment in that great moment in the, in the movie where uh, Tom Cruise goes, we want the truth. And he says, you don't want the truth. We want the truth. You don't want the truth. We want the truth. He said, you can't handle the truth. Lee, turn my, my mic down back there. There you go. Good job. You can't handle the truth. And as he yells it out like that, you're watching it. You're going, you're right. We don't want to know how many people you kill. We don't want to know how you keep us safe. That really is the moment where Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. And I feel that all the time. Like, God, just tell me a little bit about me that's not good. 
Don't show me all of it because I, I really can't handle it. I'll get in depression and just quit all over again. Come on, are you with me? And yet the psalmist says, listen, your word will guide me in the right direction. Your word is truth. Shine the light. Help me see what I don't see about myself. Why I can't seem to sustain good, healthy relationships. Why I can't seem to keep a good job. Why I can't seem to have peace in my home. He says, listen, I need to be on the right path. So, Lord, guide me with your light and your truth. Let your word literally bring light and truth to me. Look at this other piece under right direction. Psalms 119, 105. Your word, your word. Everybody say your word. word. Is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. You say, I don't know which way to go. That's because you don't have any light shining on the path. It's because your GPS is broken. Because you're trying to do it by human standards. Well, if I, if, I, if I do five years of college, and then I go into this profession, and then I get married, and I have 2.5 kids, and I get a two-story house, and da-da-da-da-da, and surely I will be happy. And then you look up and you're like, I'm not happy. The reason why is because that necessarily wasn't your path. The Word of God will shine a light on your path. It will guide you. It will show you the way for which we are to go. And then look at Proverbs chapter 7. I love this one because this is the man of God speaking the words of God to his son. And look what he says. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. What he's saying, if you'll keep reading, he says, he says, because son, I saw a young man who did not obey the teachings of God, and he went down the path to the prostitute's house. And as he was walking past, she called to him. And he foolishly, like, a, like an ox to the slaughter, went into her bedroom and destroyed his life with the prostitute. And he's saying, listen, take the words of God. Take the words that I'm giving you. Let me, let me tell you the words of God. Take them and make them the apple of your eye. They will keep you. They will guide you. They will sustain you and keep you on the right path. Frank, can I tell you something? I don't know which way is right. I don't know which way to go, but he does. And his word will shine forth that path so I can say, step and step and step. It will sustain you in the right direction of life. You say, I don't know how to raise kids. Let the word of God guide your path. You say, I don't know how to stay married. I mean, everybody in my family has been divorced. Let the word of God shine forth the path in which you are to walk in the direction you're supposed to. I don't know. Do I want to be a lawyer? Do I want to be a, you know, a social worker? I don't know. Let the word of God shine down on your path. Can I tell you something? I had no idea which direction I really wanted to go. I thought I wanted to be a wealthy businessman when the Lord spoke to me out of the book of Ephesians where he called some to be prophets, teachers, or pastors. And when I read that, he said, that's you right there. I felt it. Boom! I'm supposed to be a pastor. I'm like, no! No! And it haunted me in the night. So much so that I was running away from it. I was at university. I was enjoying my life. And a man that I was working some construction with looked at me and just this big old burly prophet man, he just got on our job. He said, are you a Christian? I said, yes, I am. He says, what does God have for your life? I said, well, I think he wants me to be a pastor, but I'll be honest with you right now. I just want to go to school. I'm going to get a degree. He said, why are you going to go to school and get a degree? I said, so, you know, if, if he doesn't really want me to be a pastor, I'll have something to fall back on. And when I tell you, this 90-year-old man, I don't know how he was. He looked old. He picked me up and pinned me against the wall. My feet are dangling from the ground. He said, son, you better learn to trust in God. And dropped me and walked through, like dropped the mic and walked off like that. I was like, okay, I'll go into the ministry. See, prophecy should only confirm what the word of God's already spoken to your heart. It's not that it's supposed to tell you. That's why you keep chasing all these little prophet people and watching them late night at TV to hope to get a word. No, you need, it's already been spoken. Get the word for yourself. The prophecy should only confirm what you already know to be true, what God's already been speaking to you. I know. That's a freebie. Sorry, that's, you don't have to pay extra for that one. And then, and then let, <laughs> let's go to the second piece. Let the word of God, how it will sustain you. It will sustain you, write this down, in the waiting rooms of life. In the waiting rooms of life. Can I tell you something? If you, ha- if you haven't lived enough life, get ready. There will be waiting rooms. You say, what are you talking about? Friend, let me tell you something. I have waited and waited to see the king. 
I have waited for my answer and waited for the, the things that I was supposed to be blessed with didn't happen. This church, if you don't know my story, so I, I loved what I was doing running the Bible school. I loved traveling the nations of the world. I loved planting churches overseas. And then God says, nope, quit it all and put your attention on this church. And I said, oh, I know if I do this, it'll be so awesome. And God will bless my obedience. And friend, can I tell you something? We said at that Methodist church, we went from 250 people and we had a Gideon's revival. We dropped down to about 150 folks. And I'm sitting around for three years. I'm so mad at God. I'm sitting in the waiting room, waiting for my answer, waiting for my deliverance. Lord God, where are you? You've abandoned me. I got so mad at him. And then the Lord started working me out of Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. And I just held on to that thing. And I'm sitting in the waiting room. And I'm watching other people go in and meet with the king and come out blessed. And I'm, ah, Jeremiah 29, 11. And I'm looking at these other ones. And God's blessing their church. I'm like, you ain't even saved. You don't deserve, no, I don't understand this at all. And I'm waiting. Some of you are waiting on a wife. Come on, somebody. Some of you actually are waiting for a breakthrough. Friend, can I tell you something? The word of God will sustain you in that waiting time. Because otherwise, you're going to look around and go, it ain't worth it. He ain't even real. It's not fair. You'll do all that. Some of you are doing it now. And I, I recognize it. I can smell it. Because I was it. And so I'm able to sense it and see it on you. Because I had the same thing on me. And when God finally called my number, and his secretary said, you can go in his office now. (laughs) And two years ago, this building, this facility miraculously became ours. And I sat on this floor that night that we said yes and signed the paper and cried right here. That's that's my booger stain right there. That's my snot right there. No, we vacuumed it once. And I wept and I said, oh God, I didn't know that you had such a good plan. And I would have quit on you had it not been for Jeremiah 29, 11. I held on to it, man. It sustained me and sustained me. See, some of you are going through the waiting period. You have nothing to sustain you. That's why you're so antsy. That's why you're messing everybody up around you. It's miserable to sit next to somebody who's impatient, isn't it? Come on, you got little kids? Oh, when are we going to McDonald's? When are we going to McDonald's? Like, we hadn't even gotten the car yet. Get him in the car. You got to go by the post office first. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. They can't take it. Ah! It's proof that you're still a child that you're that impatient. And God's constantly like, look, I got this. I got this. For I know the plans I have for you. And to prosper you. But you don't know that if you don't have that word, right? So you don't have anything sustaining you. And so you're trying to look to other people like, can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? And you don't have any, you got a bad report physically. And so you're looking at, oh, well, I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm going to stay on this plan because my grandkids need me. And you're looking at them. They can't sustain you. Your spouse can't sustain you. The word of God will sustain you. But if you don't have it in you, you have nothing to hold to. That's why we've got to dig out the Word of God. I was thinking about the sustainability of the Word of God and, and why people are the way they are. And I was thinking about this conflict that we have in Israel. Uh, the Israelis constantly fighting and the Palestinians and all this over a piece of land. And if you watch the news and you hear different governments saying, hey, just give them some more of your land. I don't understand why y'all are being like this. And the reason why the Israelites are being like this because it goes back to Genesis chapter 17, verse 7 and 8. I'll read it to you. It says, and I will establish... Establish my covenant as an everlasting, everybody say everlasting, covenant between me and you, and look who else, and your descendants after you for what? Generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, How, what part of Canaan? Some of it? Command you to share it with these other guys? The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. You say, I don't understand the conflict. That's why they got a conflict. Because 4,000 years ago, God says, this is your land. I give it to you. It's yours. God bless you. And so, yeah, they've been conquered. They've been dispersed. They've come back into their land. And you better doggone believe that they are holding on to a promise. 
They're holding on to a promise and saying, no, we were promised this. It's ours. You say, that don't make any sense. I think they should be more giving. It's the problem is what God told them thousands of years ago that they can't let go of, nor should they. God gave you promises all throughout his scriptures. You don't even know them, so you're not holding on to anything. So you're not fighting for the right spot. You're fighting in the wrong spot because you don't even know what he's promised you. That's why it's critical that you begin to read the Word of God on a daily basis, start getting some muscle tone. And see, some of you are so spiritually anorexic that you're hoping and praying that somehow you can make it through this life. And it's just got you. And so you're, you're, you know, you're looking on YouTube for some great message or something. Friend, you need to dig the word out for yourself. Get the promises of God held in your hand and say, doggone it, devil, I'll fight you tooth and nail because my God promised me this land. It's been marked out for me for generations to generation. My people are supposed to have this. That's why I can stand and say things like, yeah, 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 we need to support Israel because God promised that for them. Speaking of which, how we're going to support them this year is that we're taking a trip there. A little shameless plug. I'd love for you to get on that trip. And uh, uh, pastors Charles and Diane Logan, give you a little picture of them. They're going to actually, are you ready for that? Bam. Three, two, one, bam. Okay, so there's this couple in our church. Uh, there they are, uh, Charles and Diane Logan, and they are taking the trip. So they're mature Christians, pastored 38 years out in Lake Jackson, been pastoring with us the last three or four. They're magnificent leaders. And if you're like, I always wanted to go to Israel, we're not doing just a little tour. We're going to go love on Israelis. We're going to go show them the love of Christ. We've got a ministry that we're going to work with, and we're actually going to share the gospel and love on folks and be good to them and minister to them and just show kindness to them and so that they can say, wait a minute, Christians are for us, and wait a minute, maybe I did miss it. Maybe the Messiah did come, and maybe he is the Savior. Come on, somebody, and I want to give myself to him. So you're interested in that? I want you to see our missions director. She's going to be out in for you, Miss Erica Byler, right there to the right as you exit the doors on the right. You'll see her standing there, and she can tell you more information and get you signed up. Shameless plug, but let's keep going. I'll tell you another reason that I have difficulties with certain things that people don't always agree with, and that is I have a difficulty with abortion. I really struggle. I, I, listen, I have counseled, Jamie, I have counseled the young ladies who are raped and are now impregnated. We know the pain of an unwanted pregnancy and molestation that, that caused this child to, to come into being. But the reason why I know the right path and the reason why I know what, what's supposed to happen is because Psalms 139 says it like this, in my mother's womb you fashioned me. You, you picked me to be alive. It, it goes on to say, before, before I ever even was in the womb, in the darkness, you picked me and you had a plan for my life. And when I read that and I read the passage that he hates hands that shed innocent blood, the innocent blood means that they didn't have any way to defend themselves. It's not the same thing as people going to war and warriors fighting each other and people dying. He, 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 he's setting a precedent to the innocent. That's why sex trafficking is so horrid and the difficulties of all these wicked, vile people hurting the innocent. Friend, let me tell you something. He's says about that and I know where truth is at it guides me because his word says that and that's why I can say listen sweetheart as much as I love you and as much as I'm pain stricken for what you've been through we can find a way you don't have to kill that baby because the word of God says before it was ever fashioned in your womb God knew it and that life could go on and be something great because he has a plan and I know that doesn't seem good right now. And I know you're horrified right now. And I know you're going to have to quit school and this is going to happen and that's going to happen. But we can walk it through together so that that child can become what God intended it to become. And that's why I can stand there when everybody else says, rah, 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 and that's not this. And that. I just... That's what it says. And it gives me direction. And it strengthens me and sustains me in the waiting hours. And the last thing that the Word of God will sustain you in is it will sustain you in the trials, in the tribulations, in the troubles of life. A couple weeks ago, go back and listen to this podcast if you weren't here. We taught on many troubles. The Bible, Jesus said, he says, in this life you will face troubles of many kinds. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart. And I know that in the troubles, if you don't have the words of God that you're holding to as the storm is raging, what's that old, you know, Country Christian song. The anchor holds. Sorry. My mom loves that song. <laughs> if you don't have the word of God holding you, anchoring you to the rock, as your ship is being tossed all around, you'll sink in the trials. I've seen so many people quit on God the moment it got difficult, the moment horrible things happened to them. They said, it ain't fair. It's not right. 
And, and that's true. It's not fair. The enemy, he's a cheapskate. He's a punk. He's a sucker. He sucker punches and he does terrible things to us. And life just has terrible things happening in them. And, and they affect even good people and even God's people. But if you don't have the word of God, you won't be able to sustain in trials. Hold yourself together. And the word of God will do that. And I thought today, the best illustration I could ever give you is one of the most tragic things that have happened to one of our members uh, probably in the few years that this church has been in existence. And uh, I want you to hear today Shay's story for just a moment and what she went through and how the Lord sustained her with His Word through the most tragic thing that probably has ever happened in this church uh, in our existence. Go ahead and play that for me. Hey guys, I'm here with my friend Shay, and uh, Shay's been with Church on the Hill. You, you said your first Sunday with us was two weeks after we got into the building. Sir. That's awesome. Plugged into a small group, all sorts of great things. Well, well Shay had a, a traumatic experience back in October of uh, 2016, and Shay, why don't you take us uh, to that moment, that, that Sunday in, in October. And so give us a little backstory here. You, you've got uh, a house that you, that you have that's um, been taken over, or that you shared with somebody. And so tell us a little bit about that. Um, was purchased this home with an individual that we were together for five years, decided to get us a home together. Yeah. Um, the relationship after some time apparently went south. Yeah. And um, I decided uh, that I needed to leave um, due to uh, an act that I did not agree with. Yeah. Um, it was a domestic violence. Like every Sunday, I felt, uh, you know, I would go over to his house, uh, vacuum the floor since I took the vacuum. Yeah, and up until this point, mm -hmm. it's been a cordial relationship. Cordial, yeah. No real problems, anything like that. No, just friends. Friends, Friends yeah. that... Uh, Had a mutual mutual under, asset or yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And um, as I was leaving, I told him that... Uh, probably going to have to cut down the visits. It was interfering with my personal life, yeah. and uh, he didn't quite get that, and that's when I felt the need to say, well, I've started dating. Um, and at that moment, um, he decided to attack me and throw me into the house. When you say attack, you mean Strangulation. Uh, throat threw me into the brick kicked me with all of his might in my ribs enough to leave a footprint. Since you had a footprint, yeah. Uh -huh. As he continued, then he started dragging me into the house. Um, I used my arms, my feet, everything, my knees at the threshold. To prevent you from going, going in. in. Yeah. And um, all I could just see is just blood coming from my face onto the ground. And then at some point, I just, everything gave way. Um, and into the house I went. So hold on, Shay. So he gets you in the house. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And he gets a frying pan. Mm -hmm. And he begins to beat you with a frying mm -hmm. pan. Mm -hmm. My so, gosh. Um, I just remember laying there on the ground. Blood everywhere. It's everywhere. Blood everywhere. It, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I lift my head up a little bit to see his feet coming back towards me. And then I raised up a little higher. And I'm looking down the barrel of a gun. At that moment, I threw my arms out, or threw them out, put them out, and I just said, God, I'm, I said, oh God, I'm ready to come home. And I dropped my head, and then after that, it was a mind's eye. It was- you had an open vision. An open vision. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a uh, floor, it was, like the high gloss in the hospital, beautiful floor. Then as my eyes came back closer, you know, yeah. two feet appeared with blood on top of them. And at this moment, you believe this is when- This is when Jesus. That guy, also, and then when that guy pulled the trigger to end your life. Yeah, yeah, that's all I can think of. Yeah. I mean, that God was shielding me from that bullet. I should be dead. Because what, what happened? The bullet missed you. The angle of my body on the ground, the way I was spread out, that bullet would have had to go over me, and the way my foot was positioned behind me, it hit the top of my foot and came out the other, the upward side. Yeah. So no surgery to your foot. 
your foot works. No therapy. No therapy. No bone damage. No nerve damage. Nothing. I'm a cycle instructor. I work out. Everything. I'm, I'm good. She, that, that's a miracle. You and I both know <laughs> yes, that is yes. a miracle. And you had told me that there was a scripture that you were hanging on to the entire time. She said you felt got you through this traumatic experience. Yes. Psalms 28:7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiced, and my song I will praise him. And that's what gets me through. Shay, are you here today? Could you give us a... Shay, did you make it to this service? You might have been in first service. Shay, are you here? Shay is a miracle. Um, what we didn't tell you in that story is that, or may, you may not have understood, is that her uh, former lover, uh, enraged with her for dating again, um, after having beat her within an inch of her life, then pulls his gun out, if you, if you didn't catch that, and right there in her face, as he's about to pull the trigger, she had an open vision of heaven. And it was the feet of Jesus that couldn't, came and stood in front of her. And then as, he, as this, uh, this enraged man pulled the trigger, uh, he thought he killed her. And, uh, and then he turned the gun on himself and, and ended his life. And Shay's small group you saw at the end, as soon as we got word, they rushed over to her and ministered to her in the hospital for all those weeks. And the point being is this, as she closed it out, that I will trust in the Lord. He will be my shield. <laughs> he will protect me. I will rejoice in him. She had a word as she laid there in that bed, not knowing if she was going to live or die, that she held to. Friend, when the trials of life and the difficulties of life come to you, what will you, what will you hold to? What, what will you say is the, where will you draw strength from? This life is but a vapor, and then it's gone. It's just a just rehearsal for eternity. Difficulty will happen. And what will sustain you in the difficult moments? Like uh, you didn't expect him to do that. Like uh, you thought that you had enough money to finish school. Like the car that was getting you back and forth from work just broke down. What will you hold to? What supernatural truth will sustain you in the times of the difficulty? You say, oh, I just am going to go fix it in and of my own strength. Yeah, that's what he was teaching the children of Israel. You couldn't fix it in your own strength. And I'm trying to teach you that you will be sustained by my words. Jesus, the Son of God, said, hey, Satan, let me tell you something. You're not going to trick me with that. It's not about food. It's not about substance. It's not about, it's not about cars and houses and homes and about money and clothes. This is about sustainability that comes only from the words of God. Won't you stand with me all across the room as we go to close out here in this moment? Would you set your Bibles, your notebooks down? your lattes. <laughs> could you just, could you honor me for a moment by just right where you stand, bowing your head and closing your eyes? The reason I get you to do that is so that you could have a, a place, a moment of privacy. And by closing our eyes, it, it gives us the ability to kind of concentrate and think upon the Lord. If you're as ADDDD as I am, I, I have to close my eyes so I don't get distracted. So as you Stand here with your head bowed and your eyes closed. What word are you holding to? Do you recognize that some of you in this room, you need direction and you don't have it? You don't know if you should buy or sell. You don't know if you should quit or stay the course. You, you, don't, know, you don't know which way to go. And you need a word from the Lord. And as you stand right here, I want you to admit that to the Lord. Say, so, Lord, I'm, I'm directionless. I don't know exactly what needs to happen here. And I want you to ask the Lord to give you his word on it. Father, I pray right now for all those who are confused about a direction in their life. That this week as they study the word of God, that it would come alive to them and you would speak to them. You would speak clarity of direction. Lord, for those in this room that, Lord God, are in a waiting room and they're beyond frustrated. They've got happy feet and they think, I can't take another day and they're ready to run off and quit on you, quit on their marriage, quit on purity, quit on the ministry, quit on their friends. They're right there, Lord. They can't 
take it anymore. They're tired of being single. They're tired of suffering with this situation and this relationship. They don't have any more patience left. I pray this week you'd give them a word, a sustaining word, a sustaining word. Father, I pray for those right now in this room, Lord God, that are in the midst of a trial, maybe not as tragic as Shay's story, but nonetheless painful and hurtful for them. Lord God, it seems as though the storms are raging and they're taking on water and they don't know what to do. I pray right now, this week, as they look into the beautiful Word of God, that you would shine forth your light and your truth. That you would make clear to them what their situation really is. And that they would have a sustaining Word to get them through the storm of life. As you contemplate these things and you interact with your God I want to give a call to those of you that say pastor I got to be honest I'm not a Christian I'm not sure if I died today I'd go to heaven Uh, maybe you'd say pastor I used to be a Christian but life happened I I don't have a relationship with the Lord anymore I'm separated from him I'm I'm divorced I don't know where I'm at I just know that life happened and, and I'm pretty sure that if I died today I wouldn't go to heaven and I surely don't have a active friendship with Jesus Christ. Friend, I want you to know something. There's good news for you today. You're here. He's here. His arms are stretched out wide, welcoming you home. You say, I've never been a Christian. I don't know what that means. What do I have to do? Friend, let me explain something to you. You don't have to do nothing. He did it all. He paid it forward for you. He died on a cross, and it covered all of your sins that you would commit. He says, so, so what do I do now? The Bible says it like this. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He then, as you make him the Lord of your life, he then pays all of your debts, all of your sinfulness, all the times you've lied, cheated, stolen, you've beat on people, you've harmed people, all of that he covers under his blood the most precious financial commodity that could ever be he paid for it all. So, so what do I do again? Today you make him the Lord of your life. It's just a confession of prayer. So today with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian, but you want to become one, if you recognize that you're a sinner and you need forgiveness, I want to pray with you. Maybe you would say, Pastor, I used to serve the Lord, but I've walked away. I want to pray with you. I want to bring you back home. I want to introduce you back to the Father. I want you to know your Savior, Jesus Christ, again. I want you to start up a relationship that, that maybe you've never had or, or maybe that you had but you wounded. I want to bring it back. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But, but you've got to take a step. You've got to admit that you're away from God. You've got to ask for help. The doorknob's on your side of the door. We can't open it for you. You have to admit it. So what will happen? Well, here in just a second, I'll get you, get you to lift your hands and admit, I need Jesus. I need help. I need God to come into my life. And then what I'll do is I'll lead you in a prayer of repentance. I won't call you forward. We won't point you out. We're going to jump up and down. This is you and God having a moment. It needs to be sincere. It needs to be real. It needs to be a place of comfort right there in your seats. And I want to lead you in that prayer. But first, you have to take a step and admit you're in need of a Savior. You are a sinner who needs grace. You know that if you died, you wouldn't go to heaven. And today you want to start that relationship with the Lord. With no one looking around, if that's you, say, Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I'm ready to be right with the Lord. Would you quickly throw your hand up and just remit that? Thank you, sir. Thanks for your honesty. Pray for me. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your honesty. Who else? Say, pray for me. I'll give you about three or four seconds. God bless you, sweet love. Pastor, I'm not right with the Lord. It's time. I don't want to leave. Thank you, sister. Thank you, beautiful lady. Beautiful man. Wonderful folks. Come on. Two or three more seconds. Don't, don't push the Lord away. This is your moment. Quickly respond. Admit that you need him. His grace and mercy will be poured out. Come more seconds. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. Quickly throw your hand up. I'll pray for you. Thank you. God bless you. I'll see you back there. Amen. You can put your hands down. Now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. In fact, I'm going to get everyone in the audience to pray it out loud alongside of you so you're not by yourself. But I want you to mean it with all of your heart. Just say, God, this is me. I'm coming to you. This church, man, I just need you in my life. And he's going to do it. So say this prayer with me like this. Say, Jesus... You can do better. Say it out loud. Jesus, today, I ask you, forgive me. I admit I'm a sinner. I acknowledge 
I need you. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I accept your forgiveness. I ask you, wash me clean. Change my ways. Transform my life. Write my name in your book of life. Because I promise to serve you all the days of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who threw up their hand. Even my friends who just were a little intimidated to throw their hand up. But they prayed that prayer, meaning it with all of their heart. God, I pray right now they would sense. They would know that you forgive them. They don't have to perform. They don't have to give money to the church. Lord God, you did it all. And right now, let Lord, like, like a blanket, like a, on a freezing cold day, like a warm blanket wrapping over them. May your arms wrap around them and may they sense that it's done. It's over. And Lord God, the fear of dying, the fear of not being good enough, may it all just, it, it, just go away here and now. It may just fly out the window of their life. And may they realize, you know what, I may not be perfect and I may make mistakes, but I've got a Savior who loves me and who's forgiven me and I belong to it. May they know that and they're knower. And when the lies of the mind come in, you're not good enough. You can't go to church. You're not good enough. May they say, shut up, devil. I know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's forgiven me. I trust his word and I'm going to go grow in Jesus. Father, I thank you for that truth in Jesus' name. Grab hand of that person next to you all across the room and I'm going to close out over the next 90 seconds. And what I need you to do is I need you to be the body of Christ. I need you to be good people who love good people. And the persons on either side of you, you don't have any idea what they're going through. You have no idea the trial, the storm. They don't have a word for them. And, and they're not feeling the sustainability of God's word. You have no idea what they've been struggling with. And they're just waiting on God. That they've been waiting for this kid for 20 years to come back to the Lord. And he still hasn't. And how frustrated they are. And I want you to take a moment. Pray for the person on either side of you. And ask them. Ask the Lord, excuse me, to help them. And to give them a word this week that sustains them. Something they can hold on to. Something they can sink their teeth in. Something that they can begin to build some muscle tone with. Something that they can start getting some stability in their life with. Father, I pray right now that the church called Church on the Hill, Lord God, would be full of men and women of valor, men and women who know the Word of God, who have the Word of God sustaining them in the midnight hour, in the tough season, sustaining them in the waiting rooms of life, sustaining them in the confusion moments of which way is right and which way is wrong. Lord, I pray we begin to consume the Word. I pray for a holy desire for Your Word, God. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that our appetite would begin to hunger for the Word of God and that You would satisfy us. Whatever they read, whatever they draw out of the Word, that it would bring them the life that they need, the life source that they need, the nutrients, Lord God, that will sustain them in the hard race called life and the difficult mountaintops that they've got to climb to. Lord, in the, in the beautiful valleys, but also, Lord God, in the winter freeze, Lord God, and Lord God, in the hot summer times of their spiritual walk. Father, I pray your word will sustain them and give them strength. And Lord God, that they would know that they know that they know that you're with them all their days and that you'll never leave them or forsake them. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, Amen. And amen.